Both Brazil and Portugal secured early qualification for the round of 16 in the Qatar World Cup after beating their opponents in the second round of group games. The other four teams scored as many as 11 goals in their two games, but only Ghana benefited from the competitions to stay in a favorable situation in Group H. Welcome back to CGTN Sports Talk. I am Li Xiang, and I'm glad to be joined by my colleague Josh here. Great to be back. Hey,、um, for Brazil, I know that they were gonna going through a lot of trouble without Neymar to run their offense, but I didn't expect only one goal from that game. I think they are kind of poor in seizing those opportunities. Yeah, that game was really. It's one of those things which, on one hand, really difficult to watch. On another hand, kind of expected because Switzerland have become something of a problem these past few tournaments. They're kind of like I don't know. I don't don't know what the best comparison would be. Say like Burnley under Sean Dyche in the sense of not very flashy, not very good, not very attacking, but they will cause problems. They will prevent you from getting ahead. They knocked out France in the Euros. They they took Argentina to the limit in the in the previous World Cup. The way they were set up here, they basically spent all night just kind of making sure Brazil couldn't do anything.、Mm-hmm. And you're expecting this Brazil side, with all that talent they have, to really be able to make a breakthrough. And instead, they struggled and struggled and struggled. The goal came on the 83rd minute. They had a previous goal、um, ruled offside because、yeah. of Richarlison breaking the lines. But like I, you know, the, we shouldn't be waiting that long for a Brazil side with Richarlison, Vinícius, Rafinha, all these big names. Where on the other side of the ball, it's like you know, Granit Xhaka, Remo Freuler,、uh, Jan Sommer is a fantastic goalkeeper, and I think that is a major upside for the Switzerland team. But I feel like the biggest takeaway is just how disappointing. All of Brazil were in being unable to move the ball quickly, accurately. Basically, this shouldn't have ended one nil. Even though yes, they did get the points, and they probably looked at it in the same way a lot of teams have looked at it, where they've looked at the second day of their group stage already on three points. Everyone else on one or zero realize they can probably get through. They don't need to give it all their effort, especially without Neymar moving、mm-hmm. the ball. But I still come away from this thinking that we should have got a lot more out of this Brazil side. Yeah, that's true.、Uh, the goal by Casemiro, it's a good goal. But what I really <laughs> liked about it was,、um, do you remember after the、uh, 2006 World Cup, or maybe the following edition, people were talking about Brazil became so European, like their playing style was so industrialized. It was not like the fun and samba football of. Brazil tradition anymore, but this goal of Casemiro, the three or two ball movements before it happened, it did remind me something that I could see、uh, from the、uh, Ronaldo, Rivaldo, and、uh, Ronaldinho in two thousand two. That was something I missed a long time. Yeah, the, like the, this thing with like samba football, it's been gone for a very long time with this Brazil squad. But yeah, you are right. Like that goal was lovely. It's one of the best I've seen in the tournament so far. Um, but it was just like a little moment of brilliance, and that was it. The rest of it was just like really struggling to to do anything. Which I don't know if that's going to be an omen going forward because now they're top of the group. 
as far as I can tell, unless... Well, no, because they, they just beat Switzerland and they have the goal difference. They're guaranteed to be the top of their group. So I'm sure that this next game they're going to go into, they're not going to try too hard. But when it gets to the knockouts, I really need to see them perform better than this. Otherwise, I don't see them getting too far into the tournament. Hmm. Then what about, say, uh, Neymar will miss, reportedly, both of this group games. If he doesn't return in the round of 16, do you think Brazil can go through that or they will be really struggling? Well, it's kind of weird because I've only seen this one performance from Neymar in this tournament, obviously, because it's the only game he played. But he seems to be more of a team player than he had been before. And yet there were still those times where he gets tackled and he throws himself to the ground. And sometimes he's still a bit of that bratty superstar. Mm-hmm. You watch how this team play. And again, it's like on one hand, they weren't moving the ball so well. They weren't as threatening as they should have been. On the other hand, I'm not so sure if he's missed because it's one less thing to worry about. It kind of spreads out the opponent so you can should be able to move the ball more freely. It's a it's a very strange situation. I would like to see him back because mm-hmm. I do think he still has a lot to offer for this side. Yeah. But I do think that I come away from this thinking more so than Neymar coming back. I feel like they should be starting Rodrigo, starting mm. Anthony, keep certain players on the bench. Just, just liven things up. Like Lucas Paqueta, he started both of these games now is like a attacking midfielder, he's not really done anything. Mm-hmm. He he seems to be a, more of a passenger than anyone else. So just liven it up, get these younger players on. They've basically got a free game to practice with. So I'd like to see that from their next their next performance. Mm. I think um, this way, say, uh, it's, you know, there's a word like a double-edged sword. For me, it's something similar mm. to Brazil. Like, if Neymar comes back and continues to do, like, what Lionel Messi does, it, it's, it's totally good. It's a bonus for Brazil. But if he doesn't, they do have so many young and talented players to count on, and they can do that. That's actually an early completion of team transition from the older generation to the young generation, which can also be a good thing for Brazil. Yeah, I mean, that's the... That's the thing which I think goes back to what we were saying about Croatia and definitely about Belgium is if you don't have this constant conveyor belt of young talent coming in, old talent leaving, you do end up in the situation like they are in where it's just an old team and you get run around by the younger sides. So So this team is, this Brazil team is full of talent, but you are right in the sense of like there's a lot of young ones in there who need to be blooded in to go alongside the slightly older ones who, you know, Thiago Silva, for example, should be, I mean, he is the captain, but he should be leading the younger, the younger squad, whether Neymar can do the same in the attacking positions. I don't really know. Mm. So in the Portugal game, uh, Renato was pretty upset when he found that the goal was not written under his name. Do you think he really touched a goal with his hair? Well, that that's, that's it. Like, when the replays were going on, they did like four or five different angles. And it's like on one of the angles, you can see like the ball kind of grazes his hair, but it doesn't actually move in terms of like change trajectory, 
slow down, speed up, change its angle, whatever. So it like, yes, it did touch his hair, but it didn't do anything. So it doesn't really matter in the end. But you can tell that, you know, he was very upset about it. Yeah. However, even if it did go in off him, all it does is confirm our suspicions that the star of this team now is Bruno Fernandes, mm-hmm. who did absolutely everything in every attacking position. I know he's officially out on the right, but he's kind of a, much of a floating winger. And as soon as the ball gets to him in that, you know, the ch- in the channels where he tends to play, give him an inch of space, give him a second of time, and he's going to find something. He is very... I mean, if he wasn't already basically being groomed to be a big thing at Ten Hags United, mm-hmm. I feel like this would be his breakout performance, his breakout tournament. He's like, for me, this confirms he is the real deal, so to speak. Mm. Do you think, I, I don't think uh, Uruguay in this game performed any better than they did against South Korea. Actually, it was the same bat. It was so chaotic and nothing is united. But do you think Portugal actually did better in this one and to show that they can go further than expected in the round of 16 or, you know, the knockout stage? Yeah, this this is for like basically a team in a, a Portugal team in ascendancy and a Uruguay team. Well, they haven't really done anything, so we can't say decline. Mm -hmm. But I had them as my dark horses, and I'd say that this is proof that if they are a dark horse, they are still very much in the stable because the Portugal squad, I think that is noticeable, is Ronaldo is a problem because he just plays in his own... He is just where he is, right in front of the box, doesn't track back. Like We kind of know it, but they've at least been able to build... like nine men around him who are flowing, who are attacking, who play incredible football, and then they fit Ronaldo into it. And then, as was quite noticeable, when he got taken off in the 82nd minute because they were already 2-0 up, suddenly that team felt like it had a lot more people in it. And then that led to the penalty because they were so much more attacking than they were before. However, you look at the other side of things, and this Uruguay side... You know, going back to what we just said about the young talent moving in, the old talent moving out, and how you need to have a balance, this feels like you have two separate teams, young players and old players, and they are operating on two separate two separate stages. Um, having this front two where you have Darwin Nunez, first alongside Cavani, then alongside Luis Suarez, there's no like chemistry at all between them because it isn't just that Nunes is like a young player. No. He's a striker who just plays everywhere. He's always looking after he's always chasing the ball, always trying to make things move. But then you have Cavani who is static, waiting for service, which is not gonna come because Nunes is already there swiping the swiping the ball. Luis Suarez, as we saw yesterday when that corner came in right towards the end he's just a second too slow Mm -hmm. slightly lacking that killer instinct there isn't the you know the pacey player playing off the veteran scorer it just feels like the young players are playing their game the older players are playing their game and there's nothing in between uh bentancourt was great on the left 
but he had no one to really lead up to because Nunes isn't in his usual position. Once again, they still haven't found out a way of having him be a central striker that everyone can point the ball towards because they've got to fit in Cavani. They've got to fit in Suarez. And that is that is a really difficult situation to find themselves in. Mm-hmm. I guess not every veteran, especially for Uruguay, can be playing as well as Diego Forlan. And so for mm. the other two games, there were, like I said, 11 goals, which were very exciting to watch and fun to watch. But I guess three of the four teams were very disappointed at the results, and Ghana is the only exception. Yeah, that opening game with Cameroon and Serbia, that in the space of how many minutes was it? It was like five minutes that Cameroon's comeback was on. Mm -hmm. That went from being the most exciting, most dynamic, most surprising performance from Serbia, almost to the degree where they suddenly became, say, tournament dark horses who can do a job and cause a lot of difficulties for other teams to just being a team that completely crumbled. Because the thing is, in the first half, you had uh, Castelletto's goal. And then suddenly that fired up the the uh, Serbian squad, who from Lukic and Maksimovic in midfield pushed forward quite high. And then that set up like constant pressure, basically. And then you had Milinkovic-Savic's incredible goal where they, him and Zivkovic were just kind of running through the static defense of Cameroon. And then Alexander Mitrovic, who is one of the most underrated players in modern football, had that really fantastic shot barely moments later in the, in the start of the second half. Um, no, no, sorry, I got, I got confused. Pavlovic had that great goal. A few minutes later... Milinkovic Savic got that fantastic one. He's running through the defense. The second half starts, and yes, Mitrovic just had that fantastic goal. And then I don't really know what happened. Like, I know they're 3 1 up and they were playing fine, but it felt as if, like, the back line just stopped paying attention. And um, when Rigobert Song brought on Vincent Abubakar for Cameroon, He's their, like, talismanic striker, their, like, main man. He just starts causing trouble. And he scores that goal very clearly assuming that he's offside. And it's a fantastic, like, arcing ball. But he was given so much space because I guess uh, Velkovic and Milenkovic thought that he was going to get called back. Didn't happen. Then suddenly it's game on. And the same thing happened, like, as soon as the ball went back into play, this time with uh, Chupa Moting, with Abubakar playing him onside. Suddenly it's 3-3 again, and all the verve, all the energy from the Serbia squad disappeared. All that quality just seemed to vanish from the pitch. I don't know what happened in the space of three minutes. Like They basically have to be upset with themselves. Mm. And then, like you say, you go to the other side with the South Korea and Ghana game. Ghana starts great. The Ayu yeah. brothers play Salasu and Kudus on for goals. And then in the second half seem to just assume, okay, we're 2-0 up, everything is fine. Korea press, similar situation in the space of three minutes. Uh Gui Sung Cho 
scores two fantastic headers. Then suddenly, um, Otto Addo knows that his Ghana side have to close them down. They close everything down, so that forces Korea to play really high up, lose plenty of space for Mohamed Kudus, who turns things down, turns things around less than ten minutes later. And then from there, they shut up shop. And you had this Korea side who are constantly threatening with crosses, with corners. But for some reason, maybe it's because of the injury and he's playing behind that mask, whatever it is, Son Heung-min had several chances where if he would have just taken it first with his left, I don't know if he doesn't normally play with both feet. Typically, he's a right-footed player. I don't really know. I'm not a big Tottenham fan. But so many chances where just if he took on his left first hit, he probably would have banged a goal in. Instead, he takes a touch, runs back in. And because Ghana, from the 70th minute onwards, are playing with like 10 men behind the ball, he simply can't get anything done. And basically, in all cases, you look across at these goals, it's three-minute stretches of they score... Suddenly, the team is in disarray. They score a second, then everyone sits behind the ball. And the same thing either happens in reverse as it happened in the Cameroon-Serbia game, or the game just gets shut down. And in all cases, all teams involved, even, I would say, Ghana, who eventually won, will have to be looking at their defensive structure and wondering why it is they just give in so quickly. Because that's the recurring theme of all these games. Yeah, that's true. For Son, I don't, I don't think I know him one hundred percent well, but I think first, wearing a mask really deflects his vision, and second, he, when he was playing for the Spurs, he had so many good teammates to know where he wants to go and where, what he wants to do. So they don't really have to communicate too much. So the games just happen smoothly. But in South Korea, he was the best playing man. He doesn't have his best partner, so. There's so such a big workload on him. He has to care about so many things, and he was not in his best form, and he was not in his most relaxed form. So too much to think, too much to do, and maybe that's why is that's what something is holding him back. Yeah, I could I could see that because this this Korea team is kind of a surprise because you kind of forget how many play in the Bundesliga, how many are very talented players. But you look at where the goals came from. Like I say, uh, Gui Sung Cho, he got those fantastic goals. However, when suddenly it was crunch time, they're 3-2 down. They need another goal. You are right. They all just turn around and look for Son. They just expect him to be the miracle man and get them out of the situation. Which, when he's injured like that, when he's not playing alongside Harry Kane, when he doesn't have Kulusevski out on the wing, when he's not playing in the Premier League, in the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, when it's all these brand new conditions, he's not the kind of player who can pull miracles out. He is a great striker, don't get me wrong, but you can't rely him on being your one-man team. Yeah, that's true. And I think so much for today. Thank you for listening. Hopefully we'll be hearing from you guys very soon tomorrow. See ya. Speak to you then. Bye-bye.